Hey everyone, welcome to the BFE podcast. Today we're talking to an incredibly interesting guy who totally changed my perspective on a couple of things. And we, it's not about exits at this time, which is really neat because we didn't even really mention exits because Dror, I tried to say his name properly, Dror in the horrible American accent, he is this amazing entrepreneur who is building something that could really change the world. Oh, I'm I'm uh, Dr. Kent. She's Jessica Bernstein. And there's some weird guy over on the other side. Yeah, I'm, I'm Randy Baker. I'm also here. And uh, what can we say about this podcast? We can say that we reach biblical proportions. Oh. But um, <laughs> Yeah. We could just say nothing and hop straight to it. Oh. Oh, we could probably... We could take a big bite out of hunger. We could take a big bite out of hunger. We could feed the world. Let's do that. Let's feed the world. So I was thinking the entire time we were talking with Drawer, I was thinking about, like, grasshoppers I've known and met and enjoyed and loved. Because, you know, when you, you get a grasshopper in your hands and it kind of hops around, that, that stimulating little feeling and you kind of peer through your thumbs and you can see this incredible little guy with just mighty legs, like big old legs. That thing can, I imagine if it was like the size of a building. So, so apparently they can jump 20 times their height. So Kent, you're six foot seven. So 20 times your height is 120 feet. Like six stories. 140 inches. It's 150 feet. I could jump six stories, seven stories. Yeah. That's close to 10, 15 stories. Yeah. I'd be Superman if I had grasshopper legs. Jessica, save us here. This is getting weird. <laughs> it is getting weird. Let's just dive right in. <laughs> Drawer Tamir. Drawer. I think I did your name all right. Yep. Really nice to talk to you. I'll say it like an American too. Drawer. Uh, wonderful to speak with you. We've already had a heck of a time chatting with you for about 15 minutes because we can't stop pestering with you with questions. Like a swarm of grasshoppers descending upon you in a plague. And what are you going to do with this? Kent, let's just hop straight in. Yeah. What are you going to do with that swarm of interesting grasshoppers? Uh, great question. You know, uh, grasshoppers are probably the biggest pest you can find out there. Everyone is scared of them, but as an entrepreneur, you know what? Whenever you have a problem or a challenge, you have a huge opportunity. And we learned that grasshoppers are nature's most efficient protein source. So instead of thinking of how to get rid of grasshoppers, we thought how we can actually produce them on commercial scale and feed everyone on the planet. All right. So first off, grasshoppers. I'm amazed by they've got these what it's it's mandibles or something and they and they 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 make that amazing noise by scraping their hand their pa uh, paws hands uh, uh, feelers you'll be past the mandible you'll be disappointed grasshoppers almost do not make noises it's crickets and cicadas it's crickets ah grasshoppers are super quiet so describe the grasshopper to us describe the grasshopper it's a nice animal in a variety of colors green brown black gray, pink, yellow, and many more. Very nice animal. It's only fresh grass with no pesticides or fertilizers. And everyone else in the wild eat them because it is a great source of nutrients. 
So here in the US, there's a big movement about for free range animals, you know, free range beef, free range chickens. Do you have free range grasshoppers? I mean, are they out there in the fields free to roam wherever they want? And then how do you, how do you corral them? How do you catch them? Well, when we started the business, we realized that the conditions in the wild are not as good as grasshoppers would need. Cold blood creatures, it's too cold for them in the night. During the day, everyone are trying to eat them or kill them. So it's not that nice to be a grasshopper. And when we try to cultivate them, we realized that we have to provide the best conditions. And the conditions were so good, the grasshoppers grew very fast. Instead of 60 to 90 days to reach maturity, they reached maturity within 29 days. So we started calling them free-range grasshoppers. But then we applied for a permit to grow grasshoppers indoors as, as an agriculture crop uh, from the Ministry of Agriculture. And we told them these are free-range grasshoppers and said, no, no, that's a little bit too much for us. Close them down. So tell me, what do grasshoppers taste like? I, I just have this vision of putting an insect in my mouth and it just squirming and it just is really stressing me out. So tell me, what does it taste like? Uh, well, you know, everything tastes like chicken. Uh, grasshoppers don't. <laughs> grasshoppers have umami flavors. The main flavors are pecans, mushrooms, chocolate, and coffee. Oh, coffee. I can get behind coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Pecans? They taste like you could have pecan pie made with grasshopper. Absolutely. When, for me, when I taste a dry grasshopper with no processing, pecan pie. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. No way. That is really interesting. So I am a vegetarian. Are grasshoppers uh, nice creatures? I mean, that's I like fish. I'm a nice fish. I like chickens because they're nice creatures sometimes. Uh, are grasshoppers nice creatures or are they like spiders where I just, that's probably the only animal that I will, uh, well, no, large spiders I won't kill, but mosquitoes and spiders I'll kill. Are what are your feelings around the morals of killing uh, crickets? Since you mentioned you are vegetarians and we also have some vegans around us, I think it's time for all of you to open your eyes. Because by eating plants, you are responsible to the killing of trillions of insects, mainly grasshoppers. That's a good you, point. You cannot grow That's plants without killing the insects. Farmers have to use pesticides and fertilizers to kill the insects that come to eat the plants. Those insects die right. in a nasty way. That resource is just being wasted. Hmm. And at the same time, they contaminate. Explain that. Oh. The, so the dying in a nasty way being like they're being poisoned, they die slow. What, they're being that, poisoned. Please. You take an animal, it's a living creature, okay. and you kill it just like that with poison. Oh. And that is a, a natural resource that is being wasted. No, no one is using it. But they do contaminate the soil and the water sources and the food chain by that. So that's the impact of being vegan or vegetarian. Now, when you look at our farms, we grow grasshoppers. We feed them with fresh grass. We do not use fertilizers, pesticides, hormones, or antibiotics in the process because it will kill the grasshoppers first. Second thing, nothing goes to waste. We use 100% of what we grow in the finished product. No waste in the process. And the last part, even the way we harvest them at the end is done in a humane way. According to the European Union, minimal harm done to animals. These are called blood creatures. We drop the temperature, they fall asleep, 
Only then we collect them and freeze them. There is no stress in the process for the animals. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's like climbers dying on the side of a mountain. It's kind of warm and nice and it's okay. Exactly. Okay. You're getting me around a little bit. I'm number one. I love the story of this and the, the idea that there is some compassion to eating crickets. And obviously it's also compassionate to humans no, 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 to crickets. look at. Crickets are not kosher. Only grasshoppers. Ah. <laughs> grasshoppers. Sorry. That was my bad. And so you're going to have to explain why crickets are not kosher in a second. But the, the grasshopper thing, this if, if we all ate grasshoppers, it would probably feed the world, right? So explain that whole, the compassion and humans and how do we feed the world and the problems of the 21st and 22nd century. Right. Well, let's start by talking about animal-based protein. The most efficient animal that humans can grow today are chickens. The main cost driver efficiency around chickens is the feed conversion rate how much feed you need to provide the animal in order to produce one pound of biomass that ratio with chickens is 1.6 to 1 with other animals it's much worse the grasshoppers we have are already reaching a feed conversion rate of 1.3 to 1 that's 20 percent better than chickens now since we use 100 percent of the animal as food with chickens we use about 50 percent it means that we are already today 60% more efficient than chickens. That is the first thing. Second thing, grasshoppers have a tendency to swarm. Along with the technology that we developed, the new novel cage that enables us to grow vertically, with the same infrastructure of a chicken house, we can increase the protein production by 2.5x per year. So we increase productivity. Okay, I just got scared. I just got scared again. So... <laughs> So we're talking about like a skyscraper height cage. Explain that piece. So you can go vertical. We can go to whatever height we want. The only question is automation. Right now we grow them up to 2.3 meters, which is a little bit over seven feet. That's the height of the persons that have to provide the feed for the grasshoppers. But once we introduce automation, that's on our roadmap, we can go as high as we want and we can feed the entire world. That's the technology combining with this super efficient animal that can feed the world. So I, I'm quite fascinated. Grasshoppers aside, I, I'm more interested about the business elements. I'm struggling to get through my head that you can walk into a room of investors and say you're going to build seven meter high homes for grasshoppers, you're going to feed them, then you're going to kill them and make me a hamburger. What, what's, what's the pitch that makes sense to investors? Well, when we started pitching to investors seven years ago, we did it mainly in Israel. And at that point of time, investors in Israel invested in IT, mobile apps, cyber, medical devices. Usually after one or two hours of meeting, they asked us, they told us, uh, you're a little bit too exotic for us. Uh, we even say uh, disgusting. So those were the main responses we received about six, seven years ago. But listen, now, everyone are aware to the fact that the way we are consuming and food is a big part of what we consume is not a sustainable way. We have to change it. And we see products coming to the market like replacing meat with plant-based products or trying to grow animals in a lab, cultured meat. But when you really look into those new technologies and you ask yourself, 
why should we use those technology? Is it better than what we have today? Is it healthier for us? Is it more sustainable? Is it more efficient? Can we fit the world with this? Unfortunately, the answer is no. And when we show to investors what we're doing and what is so amazing about grasshoppers, they do understand it. And now we have very impressive investors backing the project and uh, we are accelerating our growth as we go. So you keep mentioning feeding the, feeding the world, which is fantastic. But what happens when we live on Mars? Living on Mars is something completely different. There are so many technological uh, challenges that will need to get us to Mars. I believe that insects will be part of the solutions because insects can actually close the entire cycle. Maybe not grasshoppers, but there are insects that consume any organic waste, turn it into fat and protein and recycle whatever we produce as waste. So absolutely, I believe that when we'll go to Mars, insects will join us. That's amazing. So again, kind of going back to your passion too, tell me where this all came from. You know, what is your story? How did you get where you are today? Well, I can go back for almost 40 years and I, I was born in a kibbutz in Israel, Kibbutz Manit. Uh, my grandfather was the chairman of the kibbutz and as the chairman he established two food companies. One is called Galam, which is today the largest corn processor in Israel. My grandfather was the first CEO. And then he established Amba, which is today the largest feed producer. Uh, so you can understand that entrepreneurship, industry, agriculture, and nutrition are running in my veins. However, I give all the credit to my passion to this field, to, to, in this field to my grandmother, because she was the cook of the kibbutz, and she used to wake me up as a very young boy at 4 a.m., drag me to the kitchen to crack thousands of eggs. And when I was a young boy, uh, they used to tell me stories about the 1950s, about Israel at that time. Israel suffered from food insecurity and also from locust swarms, locusts are grasshoppers, flying in from Africa and destroying the crops. The kibbutz members used to run to the fields, trying to scare the grasshoppers away, while other Jews, Yemenite and Moroccan Jews, came to the same fields, collected the grasshoppers and ate them. So as a very young boy, I learned that grasshoppers are food for many people and that they are the only kosher insect. Fast forwarding 30 plus years back into the future, I'm already a serial entrepreneur in food and nutrition. Seven years ago, I learned, I'm learning about the global protein challenge that we are all aware of today. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I know about a, a protein source that many people around the world consume, and that's grasshoppers. So I went to Google to learn a little bit more because I'm still an accountant. I know nothing about insects. And I learned that Grasshoppers are the most widely eaten insect in the world. Almost 2 billion people across Africa, Asia, and Central America consume them on a daily basis. If you go to Mexico, Chapulines, Inago in Japan, and Senene in Uganda, Belalang in Indonesia, and many more. In those regions, grasshoppers are considered a delicacy. They enjoy very high demand and, and very high prices, up to $300 per kilogram in Saudi Arabia. The problem is that the supply today is based on collection in the wild, which is limited to about four weeks a year. 11 months a year, there is no availability. For me, that was enough. I realized that there is a huge market, high demand, and all I need to do is learn how to grow grasshoppers on commercial scale year-round, and the market is there. So this is how everything started. But as we started the business, we learned that grasshoppers are amazing. It's not only about protein. 
that are dense with essential nutrients. The animal with no processing contain 72% whole protein, all essential amino acids, and a very long list of essential micronutrients, antioxidants, and vitamins, much more than any other protein source, plant-based or animal-based. And realize that we actually have a huge opportunity also in Europe and the US, and this is where we are at right now. We have products in, the, in those markets right now. So um, this is fascinating drawer. And I, I feel like I have to ask about the colors. So I assume like, so if I eat a blue potato, like a, a heirloom blue potato, I, I like it more. Uh, when I eat a radish, that's like a watermelon radish. I love it. I love how it looks. Is there a difference in, I don't know, texture, color, uh, all of those or, or protein content, vitamin content of different varieties? And do you keep it diverse? Are you breeding different cricket or ah, grasshoppers or what, uh, what's the behind the scenes? Well, each one, there are 10,000 different species of grasshoppers around the world. And each one of them is different in color, feed, conditions that they require. And of course, nutritional content and flavor. We are scaling up now with a single species of grasshoppers. So for us, there is just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but you'll be disappointed, just single flavor and color for the product. But there is something that is very important to understand. When we offer the grasshoppers in the market, we're not selling them in Africa or Asia or Central America where they are perceived as a delicacy. We're trying to sell it to consumers in Europe and the US when they're not really used to eat it, eating insects. So we make sure that they do not see the animal in the finished product. We have amazingly delicious gummies, orange and strawberry flavored. If you see those gummies, and in two weeks they're supposed to be on the American market, you will not be able to tell that there are grasshoppers inside. You will not be able to see them, feel, feel the texture or, or any flavor. So question about the branding then. So the branding of the gummies uh, does it enhance the branding to say that they're grasshopper gummies uh, or does it detract? Because like Jessica said, I, we think about how ticklish a grasshopper would be in our mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think, the greatest challenge that we have right now. And that's the marketing challenge. Because on one side, the yak factor is the biggest challenge. We want to overcome the yak factor in, in, in those regions. On the other side, that's the edge of the product that the source, the natural source of the nutrients comes from the grasshopper. And that's the story behind it. So the grasshoppers are there, but they're not on the front page of the package. Of course, you could always have the company name being Grasshopper Food Inc. And then they're Grasshopper Gummies. Good story. I'll tell you, uh, the name of the company is Hargol. Hargol in Hebrew means longhorn grasshoppers. And the thing is, it's come, this name comes from the Bible. On Leviticus, it says that grasshoppers, longhorn grasshoppers, and locusts are kosher. The translation to English considers grasshoppers as grasshoppers, locusts as locusts. But when they get to the longhorn grasshoppers, in Hebrew means hargol. Sometimes they call them crickets, which is a big mistake because crickets are a completely different family of animals. Sometimes they call it grasshoppers and sometimes they just keep the name Hargol. So you can find the name Hargol in the English language. You can even find some companies and products in the US market called Hargol 
none of them is in food or agriculture and for us hargold.com was available so why why do you think um i mean you i'm sure you know or, or have, have researched why are grasshoppers the only kosher insect and what's the history around i mean that story the one story you told but is there a you know thousands year old history of eating grasshoppers uh as kosher food among other things well the history of eating grasshoppers is about 300 million years old. Grasshoppers were here before dinosaurs. It's not working well with the biblical story, but still you can find fossils of grasshoppers that are almost 300 million years old. And humans have been eating uh, and are still eating grasshoppers for tens of thousands of years. So in other words, grasshoppers will be eating us in 10,000 years. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like just like yes uh, and no, they will be eating cockroaches. They'll survive nuclear holocaust. Yeah, cockroaches. Yes, they will eat us. But grasshoppers eat only fresh grass, so it will be only fresh grass that grew on our remains. But okay, but you, you, if, try to think about it. <laughs> when you're looking for animal-based protein that is essential for you, and you're living in a small village with no rifles, ten thousand years, twenty-eight thousand years ago. How hard it is to catch a gazelle and feed everyone in the village or just go to the fields and collect the grasshoppers from the plants. So grasshoppers were consumed all over the world for a long time. And, and that tradition is still kept in many regions around the world. Now, if you go to the Bible, Leviticus, you'll see that people used to eat grasshoppers and they are mentioned as kosher. It is also clearly said that it is the only insect that is kosher. All the rest of the insects are not. Second thing is, they're also mentioned in the Quran. The Quran mentions that Muhammad and his followers used to eat grasshoppers, so grasshoppers are also halal. And even in the New Testament, John the Baptist used to eat grasshoppers with honey. That was his food. So everyone around this region, this crazy region in the Middle East, used to eat grasshoppers. Some of them still do. And we would be able to supply that demand. So I, I understand that grasshoppers are... In your case, bread can reach maturity really quickly in like 29 days. They can also progenerate really quickly, like 100 offspring per grasshopper. Is 200. That correct, or am I wrong? 200. 200. Okay, so, so you've got all these grasshoppers that are maturing fast, having 200 kids that are maturing fast. Now we've got potential grasshopper slash locust plagues, which we've heard about in the Bible, we've heard about for many years, my mind, which, you know, I'm a simple sort of guy, and I immediately go to Jurassic Park and what happens if they break out of their farm. Exactly. That, that was the greatest threat when we tried to obtain a permit from the Ministry of Agriculture, because that's a pest, and we grow millions and tens of millions of grasshoppers, which sounds like a lot. You know, you, you, we have a farm that is about 13,000 square feet farm, not a big facility. And we can grow almost 300 million grasshoppers per year in that farm. And it sounds huge. But when you look at the numbers they have in the wild, when you look at the locust worms, they come in the billions and tens of billions. So the numbers that we have in the farms are relatively small. So if by any chance there will be a breach and some of them will escape, the food chain will destroy them in a, in a matter of minutes, not even hours. Birds, reptiles, lizards, snakes, everyone, and small mammals, they will all come and eat. 
Now, but still, when we establish the farms and we build the regulation around farming them with the Ministry of Agriculture, we set three physical layers to protect the grasshoppers from escaping. Cages, rooms, and warehouses. And we thought that that's, uh, that's the biggest risk we have. But as we, went, as we moved forward and we started growing the grasshoppers, we realized that we got it completely wrong. The problem is the other way around. Grasshoppers are the base of the food chain. Everyone are eating them. So when we started farming them, it was not about protecting the environment from the grasshoppers escaping. It was protecting the grasshoppers from other animals that try to get in and eat them. The list of animals that we saw in the farm trying to get in and eat the grasshoppers is, is amazing. We could uh, uh, we can uh, do a documentary. Tell a documentary us, tell us some. Uh, a variety of snakes. Tell us some uh, of those, yeah. All kinds of snakes, scorpions, crickets, a lot of ants. Small ants can eat grasshoppers, large grasshoppers. A variety of birds, all kinds of mammals. Animals that you would never see going into a building went into the farm trying to get a grasshopper. And, and since we cannot use any fertilizers or pesticides to kill those ants and crickets, we have to have a robust infrastructure to protect the grasshoppers. But still, what can make the grasshoppers escape? And I, I can let, take a look at two options. One option is a person that wants to destroy the farm. So think about it. In this 13,000 square meter farm, we have 25 growing rooms 72 cages per room. How much work this person have to invest in order to get the grasshoppers? It will take them a long time, days, and we will be there. We have uh, the entire facilities protected by cameras. So we are protected. But let's say that there is a huge earthquake and everything goes down. Believe me, at that point of time, no one in Israel will care if we have a few grasshoppers swarming around. Interesting. I mean, in, in, intensely interesting. In fact, I mean, I, we could just <laughs> go down this path. So now I get how the pitch works with investors. If you can keep them in the room for like 10 seconds, at least, <laughs> I can see where the yeah. interest comes from. So let me go back. Just, just really compelling. I, I love it. Just for a second, let me go back to you as a little tiny kid cracking eggs with your grandma early in the morning. You had no idea that you would become like an, a grasshopper entrepreneur. What does your family think about you? And how have people around you started to embrace the grasshopper? Well, I can, tell, I can start by saying that um, when I decided that I'm going to leave the corporate position I had, I was head of strategy for the leading mobile operator in Israel. Uh, I came to my mother and told her I'm going to be an entrepreneur because that was my dream as a young boy. She said uh, in Hebrew, Oy vey, and you know what it means. She was shocked, and, and that was the greatest disappointment. She thought that I'm going to be an accountant, and now I'm disappointing her. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. My father was really worried uh, how I'm going to make it outside and, 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 and bring some money to pay the mortgage. Many of my friends looked at the project at the beginning and said, it's insane. It's completely crazy. Uh, no one needs that. And it was a it, it was a journey. It was a really hard journey because it wasn't about raising funds. It was about changing perception of everyone around us that grasshoppers are food. 
that grasshoppers are part of the future of mankind. And it took us, it took us a long time to get the story right. Although I can tell you, the first presentation said the world needs protein. Grasshoppers are an excellent source of protein. We're going to grow them year round. No one will eat the whole grasshoppers. We're going to make schnitzels out of the grasshoppers. And we're now making hamburgers and sausages. So that was the first presentation. But the story was not there yet. People did, were not reacting to it in a positive way. And one of the things that worked very well for us was actually applying to pitch competitions. Because in pitch competitions, it's about telling the story in 30, 60, 180 seconds and getting the attention off of the crowd. And, and again, it took us about a one year. And the first competition we reached the finals was in Austin, Texas. And then we not, we not only reached the finals, we actually started winning. And to date, we won 21 international innovation competitions. And not only we, we won the competitions, we, as part of winning the competitions or just participating in those competitions, we've been linked to experts uh, in, in writing stories, in designing presentations, in speaking. And they worked with us. And luckily for us, we worked with amazing people along the way. And we got the story right. And we started changing the perception also, the media really loved the story. And in, over the last five years, we've been over 500 times on international media. And, and now we see people that six, seven years ago said that we are discussing. And now they always reply to the post we, uh, we have or the tweets that from day one, they believed in us. So we see the change in perception. People believe in us. And last week, for example, the state of Israel tweeted that the solution to feed the world with the most sustainable protein is Hargol. That was part of uh, the Glasgow COP26 uh, conference. So we, we see the change, Amazing. but it's, it's, a, it's hard work that takes a long time. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. You have an amazing story. We can very clearly see your passion. I am really interested to try Grasshopper now, but I've got one more important question before we go. Since this is the BFE podcast where we talk about big old exits, I have to ask, what is your favorite F word? What is my favorite F word? The BFE podcast. We got to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the reaction we received from a U.S. reporter asking about the future of... Um, grasshoppers as food uh, in the U.S. And that was fabulous. fabulous. <laughs> yep, and future. Fabulous, right. fabulous and food and future. Remarkable. I did not think about it, but yeah, absolutely. So fantastic. <laughs> Very cool. Again, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. But hold on. Before we go, tell folks where they can have a bite or some powder, or a drink, or a, I don't know, uh, whatever it might be. Gummies. Tell us where to go. I was excited about the gummies. The gummies. Mm. And I'm dying for the answer to one more question, and that is how many grasshoppers in an eight-ounce hamburger? Okay. That's, that's a very difficult question because I need to, trans to, to convert eight ounces <laughs> to kilograms. <laughs> But well, um, yeah, it's so it's so it's like half a, kilo. Kilo. Uh, half a kilogram. Let, let me start by saying what would, what would be the name of that burger? 
It's easy, right? It's, oh, I, it's got to be a grasshopper burger. Yeah. No, it would be the hopper. <laughs> the hopper. Yeah. It would be the hopper. Okay. But <laughs> so we have a we have a burger shop. We have a burger shop here called Hop Dotty. So <laughs> they serve great burgers. So let me let me do a quick calculation. I would say that 100 grams burger, which is a huge burger, contains about 15% grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50% grasshoppers. That would be around um, 70 to 80 grasshoppers. Okay. But let me give another number. Uh, another number. If, yeah. you, if you take a single spoon of the powder, that's a third of your daily protein intake. This is equal to almost half a pound of beef steak. Wow. I like that number as a vegetarian. Uh, yeah. And also hearing about methane and the troubles with it's not just the meat itself, it's the environment. It's remarkable. So, so where can we get our, our our teeth around a spoonful of this stuff? Well, right now we have an online store called biblicalprotein.com, and you can already find the powder there. And in the coming weeks, you we will have the gummies as well, and we will also um, open our online store on hargol.com later. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you, Todaraba. And really fun. Also, before the the chat, to be able to see your family around you there, uh, in in the office, and um, it's remarkable what you're trying to leave behind for them. Thank you for that, and I I will leave something for you as well. Please send me your mailing address, and we will ship you gummies. Can't beat that. <laughs> and I'll I'll. I'll I'll try them even though I'm vegetarian because you have persuaded me that this is worth it. Excellent. Thank you for that. Thank you. Take care. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dror. That was amazing. I am really excited about those gummies now. Like my mouth is actually watering, which is really gross to think about grasshopper wise, but I'm so intrigued and you totally changed my mind on that. So really excited about it now and gummies made of grasshoppers no one would ever think that that would be appealing like it kind of is now as a vegetarian i am considering eating grasshopper what a remarkable and weird conversation i'm gonna go even further and say that i'm looking forward to a hopper burger So, and speaking of hoppers, it's pretty neat to think about what Drawer has in the hopper uh, for his business and uh, for where they're going. Could really make a a big impact on world hunger and and huge issues. Now, if you want to make a big impact on the world, uh, you might like to go to uh, thoughtpartnergroup.com. There's an assessment you can do in the top right-hand corner. Click on that, spend five minutes. We'll get back to you with our thoughts on how visible you are and how good your strategies are. And if, if, you, if you are thinking about grasshoppers and how they don't make much noise, and maybe you want to sort of uh, resonate a little more, maybe like crickets or, or other creatures that are a little louder, you might want to go visit resonateengine.com. That's our other property that, that is pretty neat and, and might get you to the level of impact that a, um, you know, a drawer Tamir has gotten to. Thank y'all for listening to the BFE podcast and here's to your big effing exit.